Fellas, if you'd pass out the scriptures for anyone who didn't bring theirs or forgot theirs or maybe doesn't have one, you're welcome to keep it. They're going to pass them out. Just raise your hand. They'll hand it to you. Open up to the book of James. It's after the book of Hebrews. It's after the book of Hebrews. We did James chapter 1, verse 1 last week. And, um, <laughs> and I imagine we're probably going to go through the book of James about that quick. Um, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you fair warning. Uh, we're going to be talking about trials. Today's sermon is going to be on trials. Next week's sermon is going to be on wisdom. Okay, next week's sermon is going to be on wisdom. And I think the following week, although we're going to be getting close to the Christmas season, I may change the message. But if we follow in that, that line, uh, it's going to be a tithing message. So I'm going to give you a fair warning. You don't want to hear it. Just don't show up. But I'm going to be giving a tithing message, not because we need money. I'm giving a tithing message because the text wants us to teach on tithing. Uh, if the text deals with it, I'll teach it. So if, if you're opposed to pastor teaching on tithing, just skip it. And uh, then you're going to be in trouble with the Lord. So, <laughs> all right. James chapter 1, would you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord and we sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. James chapter 1, we're going to pick up this morning at verse 2. We already saw the greeting from James. And who was James's brother? <laughs> Amen. And so now we're going to see um, uh, this letter that he's writing. And uh, we're going to pick up to the body of the letter starting with verse 2. James writes, my brethren, count it all joy. Everyone say, count it all joy. Let's say it again. Count it all joy. And what do we count all joy? When you fall into various trials. Isn't that great? But you said it. I, you repeated it too. You're suckers. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then we'll get into wisdom next week, but let's cover this right now, because there's a lot to do. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We thank you for your word, Lord. And God, as we undertake this understanding of the purpose of trials, that it's a testing of our faith to produce patience, Lord, all of these we want, but we, we, we want the end result, but we hate the process. I think all of us to the person can testify of that. But Lord, you, you give us the solution, and that's joy. Yeah, your word says, because of the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. And Lord, if you can do that despising the shame because of the joy set before you, how much more will we be able to succeed by the power of your spirit? So, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Instruct us now, we pray, as our hearts are open to receive all you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, have a seat. I'm listening to everybody. Sounds like a tuberculosis ward in here. So. <laughs> when, when we start singing and then the air goes on and the changing the temperature. and I, I, no, I don't think anybody's sick. I just think that you get that cough, so don't worry. Don't panic. And besides, you're immortal until God's done with you. Amen? Yeah. And if you want, just come with a mask or a bubble. You can come in a bubble if you like. Yeah. Uh, now, I wanted to read, obviously, as we, we are undertaking the study of the book of James, and, it, and he starts out by saying, my brethren, and what a way to start a letter, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. 
so right away we've got this idea of trials to count it joy, and now we're, we're looking at the testing of our faith. Everyone hates tests. I hated tests in school. Uh, I don't like trials. And in addition, uh, I, I want patience, but I want it now. And so we have all these things here that, that we struggle with as human beings. And then Peter uh, actually uh, mirrors what James says in First Peter chapter 4. Let me read to you verses 12 and 13. First Peter chapter 4, if you want to note it. You don't have to turn there. But this is what Peter says. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice. That's another word for count it all joy. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I've been reading this all week. And I'm trying to grasp it. Exceeding joy, rejoicing, fiery trials, partaking in Christ's sufferings. Did anyone go to the anatomy anatomy of a crucifixion last night? Wasn't that brutal? You you see the medical terminology and the observation of the crucifixion. It's awful. Awful. And now Peter's telling us you can be a partaker of that suffering. With joy. And I look at that and I think, wow. Wow. You think, well, that's, yeah, it's easy for them to preach. They're, you know, apostles and, you know, they're supposed to do that. Peter didn't just preach it. He lived it. Acts chapter 5, Peter's there and it says in chapter 5, verse 40, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Christ's name. Peter was one of those. They beat the tar out of them. And they left rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And, and Jesus even pointed out to his disciples, he was giving them fair warning, just like I gave you fair warning on a tithing message. He gave them fair warning on this, this idea of, of trials, fiery trials. Luke 6, verse 22, he says, Blessed are you when men hate you. The word blessed means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are you when men hate you. I don't, I don't understand that. Is anyone just embracing that wholeheartedly? Yes, yes. I, I know what you're talking about. Oh, how happy are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. Jesus puts an exclamation. Leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. What about here? Heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did this to the prophets. Prophets. We know about Isaiah. They said he was cut asunder. They cut his body in half. Isaiah was cut in half. John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, of men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist in the, in the world of prophets. He was beheaded. Isaiah cut in half. John the Baptist beheaded. Romans 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Romans 5, he says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. 
Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And what he's saying is you're going to go through tribulations, but it's producing perseverance. It's, it's developing you. King David wrote in the Psalms as he would lament to the Lord and pour out his heart to God in music, which was a very powerful thing. I remember listening to Sam Cooke. Uh, uh, you know, he, he was a, a singer in the 50s and 60s. His father was a minister and he ended up dying. I think he was, he was murdered. And Sam Cooke was being interviewed. And I remember hearing just the last portion of that. And they, they were saying, you know, they were discussing on this talk show, what is soul? And they turned to Sam Cooke and they said, can you give us eight bars? Can you hum eight bars of soul? And he, he begins to hum. And immediately you're taken to a place of mourning and anguish and heartache. And he did it in eight bars. And, and you think about soul. It's not something you can teach. You have to feel it. I'm no good at it. Plus, I don't have any rhythm. Well, where does that come from? Well, it comes from generations of heartache. It comes from generations of pain. Carried down through stories. And, and then to feel that lament. To be treated differently because of the color of your skin. To be excluded, which... He was exposed to in the 50s and 60s very easily. He was the first black man to own a recording studio and to drive a car. He'd be pulled over constantly because he owned a nice car. Who'd you steal that from? And then he was killed. But David, in one of these laments in this music, spoke of this patience before the Lord. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. A cry, that's almost soulful. You just pour out your heart to God in a lament, but it's musical, minor keys. You guys have heard this song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, right? And when that's sung, it, 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 it unites a room. Regardless of your socioeconomic position or the color of your skin or your nationality, that song resonates with every human heart. How is it so powerful that it can immediately, as it begins to be sung, touch you? Well, not only were the words, I mean, I've heard compelling words and music before, but the, the, music, the song didn't, the, the melody didn't match the words and the, the song just never resonated in my heart. But yet the melody and the, and the words combined in amazing grace is one of the most um, uh, incredible songs imaginable and it touches every human heart. You can't listen to it without being deeply touched. Even secular artists who don't even believe in God when they play that are touched. And it speaks of the wretchedness of sin. It, it, it speaks of the redemption of God. Hey, it's a gospel song like never before that even secular artists have, have, have recorded. What makes it so powerful? What makes this lament, this soulful lament, bring, in a sense, a, 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 an inclining joy in your heart? What is it? Well, it was, we know what was. John Newton wrote it, the slave trader. Yes? Do I have that right? Thank you. And, and, and if you look, at, you look at it, it says, words by John Newton, melody unknown. We know that John Newton was a slave trader. And we know that... that the melody of Amazing Grace is played on all the black keys of the piano. They're called minor keys. They're keys of lament. They're keys of sorrow. 
And they found this almost exact hymn, this melody, being sung as a West African sorrow chant. You know where John Newton heard the melody? From the bowels of the ship as the slaves were mourning. And in their condition and in his heart, far from the Lord, running from the Christianity of his parents on the deck of that ship was, was matched to two sorrowful hearts that created a song that is spoken to generations following. That's how God works. You go through trials, and from that comes a song that really resonates joy in the deepest human heart. It was a West African sorrow chant. The two were combined. I'm reading a psalm to you. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. I imagine in the original version of that when David sung it with the music itself which is no longer available to us it was something that 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 would speak to you deeply as music only can he also said in psalm 27 14 he's saying wait on the lord be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart wait i say on the lord this is a man who was chased through the engedi desert hunted like a wild animal by a vicious king who wanted nothing more than to use sage his fear uh, an intimidation of a, of a young man who was rising to the ranks and had been anointed by Samuel, whom he was jealous of and wanted dead. And he hunted David, and all David ever did to Saul was serve him. I imagine when Samuel came to David and poured the anointing oil over his head in the presence of his father and his brothers, each who successively, uh, success, successively were, were, were rejected by God and finally came down to David and Jesse said, ah, oh, we've got one more son, but he's the least in my estimation. You don't want to waste any time with him. Samuel said, go get him. David comes back, having tended the sheep. The oil goes over his head. His brothers are astonished that he's been anointed the king. Everyone knows what it means. And you would think at that moment he steps into the luxuries of the palace. No. No, 10 years in the Engedi Desert being hunted like a wild animal and David would sing the song, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. How could a man like David be able to write these songs because he lived them? What makes a song powerful? The heart that matches the words. The melody that comes from the soul that is in anguish and has gone through trials. David would write Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How can you say that unless you believe it? How can you sing it unless it, it mirrors your heart? Psalm thirty four nineteen. David wrote, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he said the Lord delivers, them, delivers him from all. How does David know that? Because he saw God faithful. He waited on the Lord. You'll have no song in your heart the more impatient you are. You just go from one bebop tune to the next and they're trite and empty and void of anything significant. It occupies your time on your way to hell. But the songs that are written in the deepest sorrow of a human heart that come through a trial speak to people. People love to hear them, but they hate to live them. The words speak to us, but the music is not our own. We did not compose it. That was composed in tears. That was composed in patience. That was composed in fiery trials. And in those trials, God gives us a song in our heart. I think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in relation to fiery trials. I think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in relation to fiery trials. This was a man that was left for dead because he had been beaten so brutally. They stoned him. 
The stoning is where they tie you to a post with your hands behind your back, tie your head to the post, and they run up with rocks that they can hold in their hand and they throw it point blank at your body. His skull was probably crushed. He was so brutalized that they, they assumed him dead and left him. No, no pulse, no heartbeat, just lifeless, lift, you know, just collapsing. Took him to the outskirts of the city where you leave a dead body and they dropped him. He recovered. And he was ready to go back into the city to preach the gospel. That guy's insane. You follow the book of Acts. Paul would never call ahead, as I've often said, to find out what the hotels were like. He'd call to see what the prisons were like. In every city he was beaten. Every city. Either revival or a riot. And he was always the one who was beaten. And in the midst of all this, when he gets to the end of the book of Acts and he's lost everything, a man who probably spoke multiple languages, had the equivalent of multiple law degrees or, or doctorates, excuse me, master degrees, doctorates, a brilliant legal mind, mastered multiple languages. His understanding of Koine Greek was unsurpassed by any of the other authors of, of the New Testament. And you look at Paul, and here's a man that was, sec- he was, he was in line to take over the chief position of the temple he would be set for life financially. And to embrace the cross, immediately he's on a road to Damascus, knocked off his high horse, and he's blinded. That's how his Christian life began. And then in addition, following that, every Christian rejected him, and so did all the Jews, because the, the Christians didn't believe he was converted. And the Jews wanted him dead because he had professed Christ. He didn't have a friend in the world save but for the Lord. And he would write these words in Acts chapter 20. He'd say, None of these things move me. Listen. They can listen too. Who's got the phone? Turn it off. There we go. There we go. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That I may run, that I may finish my race with joy that I would finish my race with joy. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Paul says, that I may finish my race with joy, the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. I don't count my life dear to myself. You can tell by the, by the brutalizing of my body that I don't care what happens to me. I want you to know Jesus. It's not about my comfort, it's about your salvation. Curse me, spit upon me, mock me, kick me, imprison me. I will not shut up. Because your only hope is that which resides in me, and I will not remain silent because I want you there with me. I'm one beggar showing the other beggars where the food is. Now the challenge in the Christian life is that when we come against trial, we run from it. I mean, Peter says... Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery, fiery trial, which is to try you. I mean, we collapse based on an election. Really? That's a fiery trial? Oh, pastor, you don't understand. No, I do. I live here. Everything I voted for lost. I get it. I've had people leave the church because I'm too political. I, no, I get it. My world didn't end. Neither did yours. This, this wasn't thrust upon us. 
by some evil force. This was permitted by God. You know why? To get us out of our, our seats and get our lazy butts out and into the world. Yeah, so you have concern over the condition of the country. Good. But concern doesn't change anything. Anguish does. Are you anguished enough to weep and cry out to God? Are you anguished enough to realize that He's our only hope and He's always been our only hope? Are you ready to to pull away from this idea that our salvation comes from Washington, D.C.? When will we pour into the lives of our children that which means the most to us? When will we take responsibility for those things that, that matter? Yeah, they're trials. And they're good. And we're to be joyful. This is not a time to be in mourning. Oh, four more years. I don't think I can do this. Shut it. Did, did you get anything to eat this morning when you came to church? Yeah. I'm looking at Everybody's wearing clothes. And they look nice. Probably drove here in a car. You're sitting in a nice seat. If you're hungry, you can get a cup of coffee and a donut. We're affluent. And we think it's a fiery trial. You know what God wants to do? He wants to increase it. He wants to step it up. He wants, to, he wants to harvest some pew potatoes. He wants your heart to be broken. You know, when James would write this, and he'd say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James, James, they say, was crucified like his brother. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Each of them wrote about the joy. And we're worried about an election? Come on. Really? We have a chance to change the world. Just this congregation alone. The wealth represented in this room is greater than probably 500 square miles of India. The lives we could change. The difference we could make. You're concerned about our school systems? What have you done to change it? I went to a coffee with the principal at Newberry Park High School. I don't know much about her. But I sat and listened. I started to realize I know very little about what administrators and teachers go through in our community. I have no idea how to reach them or to minister to them. But that was a beginning I want my heart to break. I want to see what their struggles are. None of this stuff happened in a vacuum. It happened in the absence of God's people who were more concerned with their comfort than they were with the trials that were to produce joy. Our, our day is always focused on our trials. I want you to take into consideration the heaviest trial you're going through right now. The heaviest. And for some of you, it's far greater than anything I'm going through, I agree. Some of you are dealing with terminal illness, loss of a loved one. I'm not here to belittle them. I'm here to put them into perspective. It's a gift. Pastor, how can that be a gift? Because it's breaking your heart. 
And it's bringing you closer to that which blesses the Lord. You see, when Paul would write, I do, none of these things move me and I, I do not count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. When he would write that, he knew what he was talking about. You're not going to go to India and reach 750 million people with the gospel without expecting the enemy to beat the daylights out of you. You're not going to make a difference in this community without being ridiculed. You're not going to make a difference anywhere in this community. You, you won't make a difference even bringing an invitation to a Christmas program, going to your neighbor and having them sneer at you because they don't want it. If that intimidates you and you don't do it because you're afraid, the comfort is more important than the trial and the product God wants to produce in our lives. This is a testing for the perfecting of our faith that we would be worthy for this calling that we've been placed on this earth while we're taking up oxygen. You're it, I'm it. We're called to make a difference. And it's not about our comfort, it's about His glory. And the trials are the things that perplex us. They're the things that, that, that paralyze us. I want to share with you, if you would let me, uh, turn with me to the book of Mark. Chapter 1. I like the book of Mark in relation to a gospel because it's kind of like the Reader's Digest version of the Gospels. Mark does everything quick, and he just does it matter of fact, and he just pours through the points, and he just and I like it because I, I I like people to talk to me that way. I don't like detail. Just give me the what's the point? Anyway, so there was and the shoes matched the outfit, and the outfit was and it matched the hair. And then when I was going, and then you know, my friend had a haircut that was similar to my haircut, and I'm like, oh, stop! What are we getting to? What's the point? Mark gets that. I like Mark. Jesus, at this point in the gospel account, has been baptized by, the apostle, by, by John the Baptist. And the Spirit descends upon him. He says, you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. All right? So at this point, listen to me. At this point, Jesus hasn't performed a single miracle. He hasn't healed any sick. He hasn't raised any dead. Nothing. He's done nothing. But the heavens open up and says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Why would God say that? Because it was written in the volume of the book. Lo, it is written in the volume of the book. I've come to do thy will, O God. Jesus had committed long before that he would do this and to walk in obedience to the Father. And baptism was this this declaration of obedience, and he's baptized. Now, immediately following the baptism, listen to this, immediately following the baptism of Christ, look at verse 12, chapter 1. Immediately, the Spirit drove. You know what that means? That means you've you got a team of horses and you got a chariot and you're whipping them, just whipping them, just drove. He's driving them. The Spirit of God drove him into the desert. The Spirit of God drove him, drove him into Death Valley. In the summer, you get there. Why? Why did you bring me here? And then, 
He was there in the wilderness 40 days. We find out by Matthew's account, without food, tempted by none other than Satan himself. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered to him. Huh. Huh. The Spirit of God drove the beloved son into the desert and didn't let him eat for 40 days and then sent Satan. And I've been tested. I've never been tested by Satan. I don't even think there's even been a demon assigned to me. That may be trite, but I, I, I certainly don't think I'm worthy of one of those. I'm, they, don't, they don't need to send a demon. I, I do their work for them. Anyone? Yeah, they're like, let's, let's put them, the necessary resources where they need to be allocated. He ain't a problem. But Jesus got the devil himself. Drove into the wilderness. Ah, that's pretty intense. 40 days without food. Who did that to him? God the Father. You know, and, and you, it, Mark doesn't cover the temptations, but, but Matthew does. And Matthew and the temptations, Satan comes to Jesus and he says, the, the, it's, it's improperly translated, says, if you are the son of God. But in the Greek, it, it, it's depicted this way. You and I both know who you are. But apparently your father doesn't. If you're the son of God, why are you starving? Where's your dad? And the scripture even goes on to say, after 40 days, he was hungry. And that's not a joke. I've covered this before. It's not a joke. It's because after 40 days of fasting, when the human body is at the point where it's going to die, if it doesn't get sustenance, the hunger pains come back. They cease after about three to five days. And then at the 40 mark, when your body starts to consume itself and you're, you're going to be dead within 48 hours, that's when... The hunger pains come back. Get something to eat now or you're going to be dead. So Satan comes in at that point and says, you, you and I both know you're dying and dad's not here. Your father's forsaken you. I thought you were the son of God. This isn't how a father treats a son. Why don't we just take matters into our own hands right now? Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? You can do it. You know you can. I know you can. And Jesus responded in the midst of the trial, Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every trial, he responded with the word of God in obedience. See, what is faith? Faith is taking God at his word. Even when it doesn't make sense, they were taking, he was taking the Father at his word. This doesn't make sense to my body. My body's raging. It appears that I've been abandoned, but the reality is if God says it, it's true. And Jesus withstood, and then the angels came and ministered to him. He gave him all three of the, of, of the tools of Satan. Satan used all of them, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. He said, drop yourself off this pinnacle, let the angels catch you. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. He says, bow down and worship me. And he says, you shall worship uh, uh, no other God but the Lord. And so he responds each time with the word of God. Even Satan comes at him with the word of God, you know, misquoted, but nevertheless with, with an attempt at the word of God. In these fiery trials, Jesus survives. And you think about it, wow, that was a trial, wasn't it? That was a trial. And, and it said that Satan left him. Listen, Satan left him to come back at a more opportune time. What could be worse than that? I go a day without food, I'm ready to kill somebody. 
40 days? And you're going to come back at a more opportune time? I can't think of a more opportune time than that. I would sell my family at 40 days for food. Just kidding. Kind of. And in the midst of this, and this is the part that, 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 that I get a kick out of. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Look at me, if you would, so I can set the stage for you. He just comes out of 40 days without food in Death Valley in the middle of the summer being tempted by Satan himself. Yes? I don't know about you, but I would say that that is a pretty hard day at the office. Anyone? Oh, did, did you have a hard day at the office? Was it, was it tough? Did, were the dragons fierce? Were you slaying them, big man? And you come to the threshold of your home, and you can hear the kids bouncing off the couches? Your wife probably hasn't had a shower or gotten out of her, you know, night clothes. Her hair's probably tussled, and you're waiting for, you know, walk in and see Laura Petrie. Hi, Rob. <laughs> Is that what you're waiting for? You've had a, have, you, have, you, have you had a hard day? Slaying those dragons? You think more highly of yourself than you ought to. In the scheme of things, you are a gnat on the butt of an elephant. And you walk in like the world revolves around you and you get to the threshold of your home and you've had a hard day. Did, did, were, you, were, were you in the desert 40 days? Satan himself? Yeah, I was. Again, you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. No, you weren't. That's a hard day at the office. That is a hard day at the office. That's a trial. And he's coming back at a more opportune time. That's a trial. And he walks into his home. And in John chapter 2, his mother. The moms have this way of being irritating when you're older. They do. They do. They know how to push your buttons as when you were a kid and yet you're an adult and you feel like you have rights now and they're just pressing them. I miss my mom. I do. There are some things I don't miss. And my life got, quite frankly, my life got a lot easier once you went to be with the Lord. I would want her back. But I will say that my life got a lot easier. They have ways of putting demands on you. And then the guilt, they're so good at that. My mother wasn't even Jewish and she was good at it. I think she was though. There's something hidden in there. And, And here, listen to this. Jesus comes back after 40 days in the wilderness on the verge of death. He's probably emaciated at this point. You know what 40 days without food makes you look like? I've, the most I've ever gone, I think, is 15 days. I, I, it was coming off, off me like a hot knife through butter. Just pants, I had to pull like Sinbad the sailor to get him, put another hole in him. Worst thing I ever did, because I gave away all my clothes thinking, <laughs> I'm in a new side. It didn't take but a week. I'm like, can I have my clothes back? So 
So he, he, comes through the, he comes through the door. Listen, he comes through the door emaciated. And on the third day, look at verse 1, chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. I, I, I shared this on, on Wednesday, but it ties in, and I've got another angle on it, so be patient. She looks at Jesus, and she says, we're out of wine. Right? We're out of wine. Again, that's like your wife saying to you as she sees your underwear on the floor. And this, I, I only heard people do this. <laughs> Are these yours? And then, of course, my response always been, well, if they're not, I have questions for you. But what is she saying when she says, are these yours? Why didn't she say that? That's direct communication. Pick your underwear up. Yes, underwear, picking up. We've communicated, highest level. But it's a riddle. Are these yours? I'm not good with this. <laughs> or one of my favorites with the kids. The trash is full. <laughs> yeah, it is. I was just balancing the last piece up there. It, <laughs> I think you might be able to get another piece on there. I've, it, I, I'd say, yeah, yeah, it's full. Good, good observation, honey. That's not what she's saying. What she's saying. Take out the trash. All women's voices that you heard. (laughs) Men are going, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) It's code. Mary is using code. We're out of wine. I'm emaciated. I'm exhausted. I've had a hard day at the office. So we're out of wine. What am I supposed to do? I don't have any money. You don't have any money. She wasn't asking a son. A mother wasn't asking a son for anything. Who was she talking to? And who did she know she was talking to? God. God. Do my bidding and get us some wine. Do some hocus pocus and turn it, make it, transubstantiation, do this, can you make it happen, chop, chop, and Jesus' response, interestingly enough, and this is why you know that she isn't speaking to him as a son, Jesus said, (laughs) woman, what does your concern have to do with me? I said, if I had ever said to my mother, woman, I love Pastor Dave's comment, I would be picking up my teeth with my broken arm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I mean, just give it up. Are these your underwear? Woman! I'll be sleeping on the couch tonight. 
I'm king of this castle when you're not around. (laughs) Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? And then he says he's telling words. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And then Mary goes, yes. Whatever he says, you just do it, tells the servants. Jesus is like, she's good. (laughs) She's good. Go fill them to the brim. Get some water. Turns them into wine. Best wine. We know what happens. Yes? Hard day at the office. Nagging mother. Nagging mother. And he says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. Telling words. Because when he said, my hour's not yet come, what he's saying is, There's only going to be one time in all of history where man is going, where God is going to be doing man's bidding. And it's not right now. You don't tell God what to do. Does your prayer life consist of your laundry list of the cosmic genie in the sky? And when God doesn't do what you want, you quit. Does your relationship with the Lord, is it depicted by all the things that you expected from God, and when He doesn't live up to your expectations, you abandon Him the minute a trial comes? Is that the shallowness of your faith? That any testing or trial, you quickly abandon it and you call it quits? Jesus knew what He was up against. He just went through 40 days of hell. He knew it was coming back, and the woman has given Him another trial. That's a familial trial, but a trial nevertheless. He honors it. He keeps his cool. But he says, you don't have any idea what's awaiting me. And then quickly, let's go to Luke 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke Verse 39, Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's coming close to the crucifixion. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthened him, being in agony, He prayed more earnestly, and then sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. He rose up in prayer, and had come to the disciples, and he found them sleeping from sorrow. He said, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. While he was speaking, behold, a multitude was, and he who was called Judas, they came, and they apprehended him. They took him off to beat him, spit on him, mock him, and crucify him. You want to talk about a trial. And he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Where did he learn it? In the Judean wilderness and at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And when he said, my hour's not yet come, we close with this. Turn to uh, Matthew 26. Verse 36, 
Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, Mount of Olives, and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and James and John, sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed and saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples, found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time he went and prayed, oh, my father, if this cup pass away, cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. He came and found them sleeping again for their eyes were heavy and he left them went away again, prayed the third time, saying the same words. And when he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, what? The hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is here. All the evil in the world culminated at that spot and started to suck the life out of the Savior to the point where his body was sweating blood. You want to talk about trial? fiery trial his hour had come and how did he endure it joy count it all joy you don't look at what is you look at what is to become and the night that he was to be betrayed he broke the bread he said this is my body broken for you he held up the cup he said this is the cup of the new covenant my blood shed for the remission of your sins As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What's me? In anguish, joy will come forth. A woman in the pangs of childbirth in anguish brings forth the joy of her heart, the baby. The trial is temporary. The joy is eternal. Don't fall in love with comfort. Fall in love with the lost. Endure the trial. You're here. You're here because he took it. And there are people out there that need to be here and they're not here because you and I thus far have been unwilling to take it. Count it all joy. Your comfort isn't nearly as profound and valuable as the trial that produces the joy of the lost sitting in your presence because they've come to the place where their sins will be forgiven. Count it all joy. Folks, God has ordained this time of trial. He's making us disciples so we grow up and we mature. There's people that need to hear the good news of the gospel. And the way that it all began was by some nails upon a cross and a bloodied Savior. And a servant isn't any greater than his master. 